Masters week, and how often have you been able to say that around draft week? So, I decided to combine those two interests, bring on the best golfer I know. Justin Zanuck joins Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga, going through prospects 5 through 10 on ESPN's list, and then you'll hear from Jay-Z. Once again, podcast brought to you by University of Utah Health, the number one ranked hospital in Utah by U.S. News for seven years straight. I must reiterate this because we are discussing big boards with Jay-Z in just a moment. This is only a reflection of ESPN's best available players, the top 30 prospects. That's what we're going through ahead of the draft next Wednesday. So, number six on ESPN's board, Obi Toppin, the 6'9 big out of Dayton. Bill's likened him to Amari. I see more of Brandon Clark, John Collins. He's got the athleticism, led the entire NCAA in dunks, much like Clark, he's going to skirt off some scouts because he's older. He's 22, but he's going to be productive. On day one, he can contribute. 20.7 rebounds, two assists, one block. He benefited from playing around shooters. And if you could get that in the NBA, for this guy, he can do a lot of damage. Defense is going to be the thing that everybody looks at how he's going to measure up against bigger fives. He'll set himself up for a lot of success. He can get out in transition and dunk, dunk, dunk. Anthony Grant, his coach, loved his motor and athleticism ever since he was a redshirt freshman. He's a smart basketball player and available as one of these bigs. He can do some good for your team. Seven, Isaac Okoro, 6'6 wing out of Auburn. He has that 225-pound body that will be very useful in guarding all sorts of positions. Can guard one through five. It's something that Bruce Pearl, his coach, loved about him. And he's the best perimeter defender in this draft. You look at the clips dating back to when he was a prep player, and he was locking up Nico Mannion at a Nike Hoop Summit. He has flashes of athleticism where at another camp, he's dunking over a seven-footer in Kyler Kelly, one of the best shot blockers in college basketball. I saw this stat on one of the ESPN draft preview shows. It said he had opponents shooting 19% in isolation, according to Synergy. He knows how to defend. If he can add a shot, be a 3 and D legitimate 3 and D guy, that can go a long way. Ken Palm's another useful site for these draft profiles just to see what type of college season that they had. His numbers last year, comparable to Kawhi Leonard at San Diego State. He will not be the claw. That's what the stats are saying. Love what he does. Just 19, turned it in January. He'll be the highest draft pick out of Auburn since Chris Morris, ex-Jazz man, 1988. Eight. This is where you get to Tyrese Halliburton out of Iowa State, another guy who was in contention for player of the year in college basketball. 6'5", point guard, playmaker out of Wisconsin, was not highly recruited. Three-star recruit in the same class as an NBA champion, Talon Horton Tucker. People you talk to say he's one of the best all-around players in the draft in that he can pass, he can shoot, he has a handle. His shot is weird, but it goes in. Career 43% from three, 
78% from the free throw line. Good touch around the basket. He had one of the best assisted turnover ratios in college basketball. Seven assists. Had a 17 assist game in his freshman year. He is always in control. And comes from a basketball background. Father was a referee. And he's the cousin of Eddie Jones, who played in the league. At nine, Florida State's Patrick Williams, 6'8", 225. He's the second youngest player in the draft, 19 in August. And his story and his stats don't jump off the page because Florida State played a platoon system. They went 11 deep. Normal college basketball program, eight, seven players. They went 11. He can be a combo forward. A lot like Dwayne Bacon, who came out of Florida State. He was a huge part of that team getting out and running. So you love the transition they can get out. The concern is the decision-making. 50 turnovers to 29 assists. Needs to get better with the reps that he's getting. Then at 10, another international prospect. Top two players from abroad are Denny Abdia and Killian Hayes at number 10. Hayes out of France, played in Ulm in Germany, and apparently... The read on Ulm is that they want to be the feeder team for players to go there, then jump to the NBA. Killian Hayes is the first guy a part of that. And Hayes got a lot of reps. They let him struggle. They let him have times where he wasn't looking so dominant. He only uses his left hand. If you watch the clips, it's all one-sided. But he can guard both small positions has played 72 professional games, is seasoned. You understand why Kevin O'Connor over at the Ringer has so much faith in him. He rates him as the number one prospect. I don't know if I would go that far, but I understand why he can get there. He's played so much and had so much experience. There are moments where he looks like Manu Ginobili, and then there are moments where he looks like James Harden. In one of the interviews, he mentioned Milos Teodosic's passing that he models his playmaking after. He's legit. He's been on the national scene since U16s, U17s, was the MVP at the Euros in 2017. He's been on the national stage. I just see Avdia as probably a higher floor, and Kevin O'Connor has plenty of reasons to like it. And he watches these international guys. For me, it's looking at these clips and looking at and reading all the reports. O'Connor is really high on him. So there you go. 5 through 10 in ESPN's Best Available. Go through 11 through 15 next time out and continue our draft readiness as we talk to another expert. Once again, draft coverage brought to you by University of Utah Health, trusted healthcare provider of the Jazz family and yours. Visit uofuhealth.org slash jazz. Let's talk to Justin Zanuck. He's prepping in the war room, as it'll be virtual this year. Hopefully nobody has their Zoom unmuted. It's going to be in different places. Not everybody's going to be in the same exact place. You're going to have people on the video pinging in. So we talk about that, and I want to hear if they have a big board. Find out the answer on the other side. Justin Zanuck, general manager of the Utah Jazz, reviews his first year in charge. I would say eventful. Um, you know, last season feels, even with the bubble, you know, we got back in the beginning of September, it feels just surreal. So, um, you know, you talk about us, you know, getting ramping right back up. Uh, 
it's interesting it's a truncated part to get started for December 1 with camp but frankly like with the draft coming up next week like we've been preparing for the draft for eight months because it's been you know moved around or just based on data so we're very well prepared for that free agency on some level obviously probably going to start immediately after and uh, then we literally after the draft I think we have 12 days before camp starts or media day so that's going to be a little different just no summer league no integration with rookies to get to know the coaches very short timeline before they're literally in their first day of their professional season in the NBA um, so that'll be a transition but um, seems like you know from the videos we're allowed to watch and conversations we've had that these these guys that are coming in they'll have an opportunity to be selected are going to be you know as in shape as they can be without being able to play five on five or three on three or being in buildings so we're all just going to have to kind of get through it together and uh, help help them develop and make good selections and then continue to build our team on a path to a championship how has that process changed because those guys haven't played since their conference tournaments yeah. stopped back when everything was put on pause yep. is it a lot of zoom interviews a lot of uh, things like that yeah a lot so you know we obviously missed out on the last part of the NCAA season with no tournament, but most of those guys that are eligibly drafted have, have a good amount of tape. It's just that that tape stopped at, you know, beginning of March. So um, also the limited ability for us to interact with guys. So yes, a lot of Zoom interviews, um, you know, a lot of watching what we're allowed to watch in terms of film and workouts and then there's definitely, and then medical information, just there's going to be a lot of holes just because we don't have our normal process. One of the things that's really beneficial for us is being able to get a prospect in here in our own building and this beautiful building that we have and the f facilities and resources we have. And so they get a chance to interact with the staff, with the coaching staff, management, with our health performance staff, see how they react, see how they deal with instruction, um, some competitive elements, and uh, really just get a chance to know each other better. Now, a lot of that has to do with the majority of it is on a Zoom call and getting to know guys' personality and doing background information on them and then watching them play and then trying to make a projection of what those things are going to do, you know, what the things that those guys do that are going to be able to translate to help us win. What are some of those questions that you go with? Daryl Morey has the famous one, how many could fit in this office room? Yeah, we, we're not doing like doing like case studies or game theory like a guy's interviewing for right. Goldman Sachs or anything. What we're trying to do is just really make them comfortable. Um, you know, you've got 18, 19-year-old kids that, you know, it's really like a job interview. And it's amazing how, how well-prepared and also how thoughtful um, – most of these prospects have been, frankly, in the last five years, it, it, the quality of the individuals has been remarkable. So we just really want to get to know them. So we just try to ask them questions and things that make them comfortable to talk about the things that they want to talk about, whether it's their family or how they got to the certain school that they were playing in, like who's their best friends, who do they hang out with on the team, you know, general stuff like that. And a lot of it's centered around basketball, but also what they like to do in their lives. And it just gives us, it's not a judgment, it's just more like tidbits on if this person was a member of the Utah Jazz next year, how would we best be able to understand them and, and get on a quick road to being synergist, uh, having synergy with them. How was that Donovan Mitchell interview when you had to? Yeah, that one was, that one was pretty good. Yeah.
no red flags on that one. That was that was pretty good. So do you, do you have a? I mean, you said you've been working on this for eight months. Obviously, yeah. I mean, frankly, even longer because during the season last year, from a management perspective, we're you know we were always staying on top and watching and scouting, and then really the last eight months has been what we call kind of postseason or late draft process, which is normally sixty days, eighty days. I think we're on. 200 so plus now in your, in your big do you do you still wait to just finalize that big board until yes yeah it's not so much tinkering where the draft was always pushed back well before it wasn't like three days before we were supposed to have a draft it got pushed back so a lot of the stuff we did was a lot of projects and a lot of just staying familiar and then once we had continued to have more news from the nba about when and where uh the draft is going to take place it's sort of going through a period of review of the work that we've already done because we didn't want to miss that kind of re-catch ourselves up and then continue on different things as we've gotten closer here now they're we're truly in a late draft process with what we have eight days nine days before the draft now so those that late draft process now is really making sure we have all the information we need make sure it's compiled and organized in a way that we want to see it um talking with other teams in the league and uh you know, being prepared for a transaction window to be opened up so that when there is business, if there's business to conduct other than just taking our pick, that we're, we know what we want to do and go out and execute it. Is there an actual big board? No. No big board? No. It, In our minds, there is. Is it a Google Doc? What's the... No, it's... That part is like once you've narrowed everything down to a selection group, then it's pretty easy to keep track of the guys that way. What becomes more, um, the actual big board that we have is really to track once draft night starts of who's going where and, you know, the trade reports that don't get reported, you know, don't actually become finalized until the, the new league year because of rules. So really trying to compile all that stuff while the draft's going on and then literally after the draft too with, you know, undrafted free agents where they're going to camp or who they're signing and just trying to keep track of that managing those timelines you've got free agency coming up right after the draft yep. multiple timelines that you're working on how do you manage those two things you know it's similar to another year not that 2020 has been similar in of anything but we've always worked on multiple timelines like free agency is normally you know 10 12 days after the draft so we would take days out to study free agency or study our own team, um, you know, study the league, try to really learn from, you know, our results this past season, the whys and, uh, you know, why it happened or different things that happened and see what kind of things in the market that we might be able to accomplish and what we need to study. So with the draft being, I mean, with free agency being only 48 hours after the draft, we've just kind of had to add a few more days of that to be prepared rather than a bulk of it happening between the draft and free agency. So we'll be ready to go. What was your reaction once you heard the news officially the regular season's going to be starting December 22nd? Um, very happy and uh, for the NBA in terms of being able to reach an agreement with the Players Association. Um, all of us understanding how important basketball is not only to this community but the NBA fans at large. Um, the business of it, but also, you know, the joy people get watching and the joy we have of putting a competitive team out there for, for our fans here in Utah. So 
as much as you know an off season gets truncated because a lot of our off season has been waiting around for that news but we've just kind of constantly tried to prepare that we knew that we'd get later notice so that whenever they were ready to start and had an agreement that we'd be ready so more relief that we have a season next year and some probably some cool things that are going to happen just how we deal with this new environment in a pandemic we'll see how those things work but uh we're excited to get started and so are our guys. I mean, our players have been waiting around as much as maybe reading media reports in the NBA of players like, oh, it's such a quick start. And it is. It's a quick restart for all of us. But it allows us to get a season in, and these guys love to play. So they're looking forward to it as well. Stars are so difficult to come by. And with Rudy and Donovan, you have something to build and, and maintain. How do you help and assist what they're doing and also keep this team moving forward? So – how we help and assist Donovan and Rudy, I mean, it, frankly, it goes for the rest of our team as well, anybody that's a member of the Utah Jazz. Um, this great facility, the resources that have been poured in here from ownership, um, the talent we have in our health performance department and our coaching department uh, to really let these guys grow and then making sure that they have everything they need. Um, the players that we bring into have a high drive to be very good and they're competitive and they want to win. So constantly in a, ch in a changing landscape in the NBA, the game has changed, frankly, since Rudy got in the league, it's changed. It's changed dramatically even in the last 24 months. So making sure that we're able to be nimble to continue to build around them and give them support and field a competitive team, because both of those guys are some of the best competitors I've ever met. They want to win a title. We want to, too. And it's a constant evolving process, but we've got a good group around them, and uh, we'll constantly look for ways to improve the team. Year three for players, usually a big marker as to where they're going to go off in terms of their development. Donovan, after year three, what do you think he can do going forward and, and where is he at right now? Obviously he's always continued to improve year by year. Uh, one of the best things I would think that we could take away from the bubble um, was seeing another level that he reached. Rudy, for example, as well, has improved every year that he's been in the league, whether it's you know an individual skill or context with the team or you know being able to react and deal with the coaching staff of how other teams decide to play us, which constantly changes. So both of them have been very diligent about adding to their game. So I'm really excited for Donovan to be able to take the feedback that he had and the results that he had in the bubble, have some another off season, a very short one, to um, continue to work on those things and then have a, have a showcase and ability to be able to show everybody you know, the, the improvements. I would expect nothing less from to see a better and improved Donovan. As, as you consider what he did and what, the, what I guess, just sort of the offensive performances that happened around the league in the bubble, is there something that is a common denominator there, or is that something that is transferable over into a regular NBA season? I think a lot of the, the things in the bubble uh, can be translatable. I think, you know, focusing on results, um, you know, who did what and when is not necessarily what can be taken forward. It's going to be a different environment. Um, because it's a longer NBA season now, uh, this next one. But what I think you can take about it is the job Quinn did where we, we didn't come into the bubble with everybody, you know, at full health, obviously, with Boyan's injury, who will be back um, for next season, for this coming season. But 
seeing the different things that coach game plan for on a, in a upcoming playoff environment and having Donovan execute those things, I think you can see that growth, uh, whether it's multi-positional, um, playmaking, his reads, uh, obviously he shot it great. Um, all of those things have been, con you know, fruits of what he's continued to work on. So I'm not a big fan of putting like a statistical marker that this guy will average this many points, rebounds, assists. All I know is that Donovan's shown on multiple ways of building a team um, that he can be a huge perimeter force and in combination with Rudy um, in the front court, that they can be a very formidable pair and uh, have continued to improve. So that's that's always good news when you have constantly improving guys who are at the core of what we build around. What was the bubble like? Aaron's told us the story. He was making mail runs for the team. and Might, might have picked up some sugar-free Red Bull and dropped it off. At, uh... It could have been a couple of those orders since Amazon was a little delayed once in a while. What is the standout that you took from how abnormal the situation was? What, what was the routine that you were able to develop in the bubble? Yeah, well, you had to have a routine because there really weren't many places to go. So you kind of see the same things over and over. I kind of put it into like three stages. So the first one was when we first got down there. You know, we get out of quarantine and we're finally together again in a full court, you know, full team setting where it's not one on O. And so that training camp run up and, you know, that's also new, right? We haven't gotten completely sick of our surroundings yet. We're happy to be with each other and, and do those things. And we had practice and we had, you know, scrimmage games and we're, we're all just kind of getting ready together. So that was great. The second part is when we had the scrimmage games and we're trying to figure out and make tweaks of how we're going to play and those things. That by the time we were getting ready to finish those seeding games and start the playoffs, I think everyone was really ready to start the playoffs. And then with the playoffs, you're just locked in. It's the playoffs. So, you know, we could have been in Orlando. We could have been in Salt Lake. We could have been in Denver. We could have been anywhere because it's, it's really about the game and then focusing on the next game. The, the weird part was from the entire part was in our hotel, we've got seven other teams and all seven of those teams were in the playoffs. And, you know, the meal rooms are anywhere from 100 yards apart to 20 yards apart. You know, there's three elevators in the same bank and all of the teams are on a different floor. So, you know. You're running into Yeah, people. I mean, you're, I, was in, I was in the elevator, you know, with Denver Nuggets guys like almost every day. It was interesting, a psychology part, once we had the, um, the playoff seedings and the matchup set and we were going to play Denver, you know, I might have waited a couple times for the Denver guys and go in and wait and then go for another elevator because, you know, we're competing now. So and then after the games and getting back and you know seeing other teams around, it's it was odd. It was it was a neat environment though too because you get to see kind of you know these other players and and coaches and management um, that we have good relationships with, but it, just in a completely different environment of what they do on their off time. Was there anybody that you really bonded with that you didn't know that you would? Not so much. It was you know the bonding part really was reconnecting with your team. Mm -hmm. and it's been a large part. I will say that I did get a chance to play golf a couple times down there, and some of the guys, 
you know, golf has become kind of a COVID sport, you know, because you can be outside. There's been a lot of people that have taken up. So there are some interesting guys on the golf course that were clearly trying to play for the first time that might be 6'10 or 7 feet, and, you know, maybe dressed appropriately, maybe not. And then there were some of the guys who were really, really good, whether they're players, coaches, or management. So uh, that part was neat to see. They have clubs long enough? Yeah, I, you know. They had rentals down there, so I don't, I don't know if they size them for up for seven footers, but there were a couple interesting swings is, down is there. Is Mike Conley as good as, as I'll say? You think he is? Mike didn't play very much at all. Uh, he doesn't play during the season, and so with the ramp up, I think he may have gotten out of there a couple times, you know, prior to everything really getting ramped up. But he didn't really play during uh, once we started playing games. Um, I played with him in the off season. Yes, he's very good. Where are you? Where's your game? Uh, it's improved. Um, mainly through repetition. I don't know if it's so you much skill. You were gloating before we, we no, turned I, on the microphone. When we turned on the mics, I just took a look around the room. And when you guys are talking about golf and how you guys are just starting, yes, I'm better than all three of you. <laughs> yes, yes. That's not hard, by the way. So I'm just. I, I'm not still not saying I'm very good, but I do enjoy it. And I started playing basically right out of college, and it, it's been fun. Now, COVID gave me a little more time to do that, and the best thing that's happened. For COVID is spending so much time with my family as my girls and my son are starting. They started lessons this summer. So oh. that's been fun to get them out. Okay. And, and they like it. They also know if they don't like it, then they don't get to spend time with dad. But they do like it so far. When the stoppage occurred, what goes through your mind uh, during the bubble? And how are we going to get this thing back and running? I mean, certainly it was, um, wouldn't call it a surprise. I mean, what happened happened. It was just more of letting people be able to have a format to talk things out and figure things out and what they want to do and continue is kind of like a, you know, kind of a intermission a little bit for three or four days while we're down there. I didn't really have any worries about, um, you know, or fears that we would all of a sudden stop. I think it was just more about listening to all the people that had their opinions about what needed to be done, what needed to be improved, how we could all come together. And, you know, it took a few days to figure that out. But once they did, it was, I think it was good for all parties. I talked to Clinton Yates and he, he phrased it as a little bit of a bereavement period because there was just a game after game after game after yep. game. At some point, there needed to be a moment where you could pause and, and just reflect on, on what was happening and then then you can continue. Totally. I think that's a good way to put it um, as how it could be described. It was. It's like, you know, you don't do anything from a competitive level other than working on your individual stuff, you know, whether you're in front office, coaches, players, for three months basically, right, from March until I'm almost four, March until the beginning of July. And then July there's just this furious period of – training getting back into a competitive environment then immediately going in the games and then everything that was happening in our country continued to explode you know had happened a couple months before it happened right before the bubble during the bubble continued after the bubble and uh, people needed to you know speak their minds and 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 maybe that's a good way to put it is just kind of let it out and whatever frustrations or other things of how we go forward as together i just think it was good that when it did happen in the bubble, we were all together to be able to, you know, whatever the job title and whatever the role, uh, be able to come together and talk it all out. Is there a scheduling lesson to be learned from the bubble, how travel affects uh, a team or players and, and yeah. how you should space things out? There's no question that travel 
um, can really affect performance. So I'm not sure that there's been enough study. Um, I'm sure that'll come out. Anecdotally, of course, when you don't have to get on a plane and you can have a normal sleep schedule, um, results, you know, guys tend to feel better. Um, you also have to throw on the other environment, okay, they feel better, but now they're still in a hotel room, still away from their families, you know, mental health, um, not really knowing when you're going home because you really don't want to go home, right? You want to win as many games as possible to stay. Um, so how does that counteract it? I think just being in a pandemic, you know, it's another thing I credit the NBA is really trying to figure out some other things of one, how we can get a season finished like we did in 1920. Two, what can we take away from it that might be helpful whether we start 2021 in a pandemic or not, which obviously we are starting 2021 in a pandemic. Um, opportunities to try different things that might be good for the league regardless of a pandemic and players, whether that's player health, uh, player messaging, um, you know, how competitive balance and how you schedule, uh, when you schedule, all of those things. I think we got some good data points from from the bubble. Is anything figured out? No, I think 2021, there's still going to be, if you've seen with other professional leagues, there's still going to be moments of of time, whether it's, you know, the pandemic or, or uh, guys testing positive or other things, because we're not going to be in a in a bubble. We'll have our own bubbles. Um, so how the NBA allows for that and then having enough time to get these guys' bodies right and mindset right, which I think we will, uh, and have a great product to put on the floor December 22nd. In, in terms of the individual bubble, the Utah Jazz bubble, I mean, this team's obviously been through, no, no firsthand what, what COVID means. What's sort of the message to the guys once they get here for training camp and, and you know, how do you kind of keeps keep everyone safe and healthy as much as possible going into a season where there is sure our, our health performance group and and the medical and uh health public health guidance we've gotten here in utah has been great obviously we've, you know we were one of the first teams to have to really deal with it um with rudy and donovan at the beginning uh what that's really shown even the protocols we put in place prior to that night march 11th uh has really stayed in our guys' mindset. So we'll follow all the league protocols above and beyond of what we were allowed to do. What I've seen and being here since coming back from the bubble, being in the bubble with the team, there's a high level of compliance, a high level of care about each other as teammates or colleagues. So that's, and obviously the resources that we can provide for, you know, making sure that, that family members feel safe when they know that, you know, their husbands or brothers or sons are coming here to to work and and fulfill their job duties that that we take you know their health their well-being which we we've done frankly without a pandemic uh, as always being the first order and continue to make it so but i have every trust in our guys they, they've been great it's early but returning those minutes from the bubble plus getting boyan bogdanovich back from injury what more can this team do what are expectations they could have for next year well the expectations it's really more about for us our team had a lot of new parts last year and every year with a team there's going to be new parts there we have a draft pick coming up we have free agency coming up um there's always going to be new parts i think uh us seeing 
the guys that we had part of this team last year, you know, be able to, they, one, they really like each other, two, they're very highly skilled. What can we do to take another step, whether that's in addition to uh, roles? I think we spent this year really figuring out, coach and his staff, really figuring out and optimizing um, what our players' abilities are and then where are the things that we need to shore up. You know, as Dennis has said, in um, some of our postseason, you know, media availability, uh, we need we need to get better defensively on a more consistent basis. We have, you know, the best defensive player in the world uh, with Rudy Gobert, and we have some players with good defensive talent. We need to add add to that, just like we added to the offensive group um, to get Donovan more help the year before. So how that all works out, I think. You know, our coaching staff does a great job of getting guys integrated quickly. I think we will probably have a little more continuity this year than we did last year. So that's always help. And hopefully we come December 22nd and we, we tip the ball up that we have a healthy group. And I'll take those chances, you know, with whatever we do in the draft and free agency, it'll be a compliment to the group to hopefully give us a chance to be better. And, you know, the guys that are coming back um, and that end up being back with the team next year, I have no doubt that they'll continue to you know, perform at a high level. I think back to that Vegas press conference where you were keen on trying to get this team top five offensively, top five defensively. How close is it to, to getting there? Well, you know, metrics, they say that that's what you are, right? So yeah. after we traded for Jordan um, and we kind of figured some things out uh, with health and rotations and – and getting players in the right combinations on the court, we had the best offense in the league um, from there until the bubble. Um, in the playoffs, it was very good too. Defensively, uh, we put a lot of stress on Rudy and Royce. Donovan's got such a huge load too. He's a good defender. Um, you know, we have good defenders on the team. I think what it, it showed is that, you know, defensively we need to improve in that other area. Internally. Um, externally by bringing people in to get us closer but we we slipped on the on the defense a little more than you know there's lots of reasons for it and I think there's every reason to think that you know that would be a goal for us to improve are you ready for it are you ready for the draft are you ready for, yeah. for all this stuff <laughs> we've been ready for the draft for a while um, it's nice to have these extra days and then finalizing you know a transaction window opening up and being able to understand what we can and can't do as far as the rules um, with teams, understanding the cap and tax guidance. All of those things have been very helpful for us to whittle everything down and make a good selection next Wednesday. Who's the pick? Don't know. I thought I got him. Yeah, maybe. Justin Zanuck, Utah Jazz General Manager on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Justin, thank you so much. Thanks, JP. Thanks, Aaron.